you want to open your Bibles to James chapter 1, and I believe we also have it in your worship folder. Is that right? Yep, it's on the back. So this, the, the goal of this summer series is uh, to model what it looks like to pray Scripture. And really, here's my goal. My hope is that praying Scripture would become as natural to us as reading it. So if I told you that I've, I've been in the Word of God this week, and if you responded to that saying, oh, what have you been reading? And I said, oh, I haven't been reading it. I've just been in it. Like, I just hold it and look at it. And, you know, flip through the pages and it just comforts me. Hopefully you would respond with, well, I think you'd get more out of it if you actually read it, right? And so that seems really natural and obvious to us. But equally obvious should be praying scripture. Should be that as we're reading it, we are having a conversation with God and asking him and and asking for forgiveness and praising him and asking him for strength and help and hope. And so that's really the goal is if we do this enough this summer in different ways and different passages and by different means that we would be able to create a habit of every time I read God's word that I am that I'm praying it. And so last week we took a a scripture um, that talked about God's just his wonder. It was a theological passage that we prayed through. We said, okay, well, this is what it looks like to pray passages of scripture that talk about how great God is. And this week, we're going to kind of go to the other end of the spectrum is what do you do when you come, again, uh, come across passages that command something of us, that tell us how we are to live? And so that's what we're going to do this morning. So would you pray with me? Father, help us this morning. Help us, God, to not just be hearers of your word, but doers. Help us to have a continual conversation with you as we read and consider and ponder your word. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would bring conviction where there needs to be conviction and that knowing also um, solidified by the understanding that you meet us where we are and you love us and you have called us to a greater life. You've called us to abundant life. God, let us boldly follow you, setting down all of the things that entangle us, all the sin and all the promises of the world and letting go of those and just pursuing hard after you. Help us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, James 1, starting in verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So let's not overcomplicate this. It is far too hot to be overcomplicating things. If there's anything that the American church needs to hear right now, it's that hearing the word, agreeing with the word, and studying the word are nothing without obedience to the word. It's like powerful works of healing or prophecy are nothing without love. So also are all of the words and believing without action. So if you just hear and nod along, James says you're deceiving yourselves. 
If you just repeat what you have heard, James says you're deceiving yourselves. If you spend more time critiquing others' walks than actually walking with Jesus yourself, then James says you're deceiving yourselves. If you spend more thought and energy on justifying why you aren't obeying God's word, then you're deceiving yourselves. James says here that God's word is a mirror. So every time you come across a passage that commands something of us, it's a mirror. And the one who goes away and forgets their conviction is the one who he's talking about. And I think we've all been there, right? Like, I mean, all of us, I think, if you've been a part of the church for very long, you've been in situations where you've heard a sermon or read a passage or read an article or had a conversation and felt really convicted and felt like, man, I, I, I've not been living in that way. I, that, something needs to change here. I want that. I want to live like that. And then you've gone away, and by an hour later, it just doesn't seem like it was that big of a deal. It's so natural. It's so typical of us. And James says in those moments, we're deceiving ourselves. So right away, if I'm praying this passage, if I'm reading this passage, and I'm praying these words, I'm praying these words back to God, God, don't let me deceive myself. Make me a doer of the word, not just a hearer. Don't let me just agree with these things that you're saying, but, but let me look for opportunities to practice them. Let, let me put them into action. Don't let me forget what I looked like when I stared into this. And so whenever we come to a passage, we, it's good to pray with this passage in mind. To feel that conviction, to pray for an opportunity to be mindful of those things, and then to plan to actually practice. Here's the incredible thing. We serve a living and active God. We say that all the time, but do you believe that he is actually capable to give you opportunities to practice the thing that you're feeling conviction over? Or do you think it's just up to chance? A lot of times we function like the, the kids that I, that I coach in basketball, and now I've brought this group of kids to a close so they can be thankful that they're going to no longer be used in sermon illustrations. But I've got one more that it would be like me teaching them how to score in basketball by saying, watch, here, we should make a basket, and making baskets are good, and this is how you do it. And then them looking at me and saying, okay, great, I know what to do. And so when it really counts, I'm sure I'll make it. That would be ridiculous. They have to practice it. They have to actually say, okay, how do I do this? And actually start to do it and believe that I'm going to give them opportunities to practice it. And so we should with God. So whenever you feel that conviction, just ask God, God, help me to practice this. Give me opportunities. And he will. And James says, if you do that, you'll be blessed in your doing. And you'll feel blessed. If you ask, I guarantee you, if you feel conviction and you say, this needs to change me, God, would you empower, Holy Spirit, would you empower me to to change this, to bring change in my heart? Would you give me opportunities to, to practice this? And then if you're watching for that and he gives you opportunities to practice, how is that going to make you feel? It's going to make you feel like God is near, that he heard you, that he loves you, that he's walking alongside of you, that he's not finished with you. And that is going to encourage you. You're going to be blessed. And so that's the generic overview uh, that he's getting at there. But what I love about James here is he doesn't stop. He then gives specific examples. So he says we need to be doers of the word. And so then he gives us a a few things that that he can give us really specific situations on. He gives three examples. First, he says, bridle your tongue. 
So he's dealing with these specific situations, and obviously the tongue has been a problem with his audience, and we know that because later he addresses taming the tongue again. So he's, he's saying very clearly, if you love Jesus, control your tongue. Well, we can move past that because lucky for us, that's not a problem in our culture. Right? Okay, so, but then you might say, well, yeah, I know I tend to say some harsh things, but, you know, that's only to people who are really wrong. Or I tend to, yeah, I tend to be a little sarcastic sometimes, but it's, it's still pretty funny. And it's not really that big of a deal. They're just words. But James says in chapter 1, verse 26, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Oh. So that seems like a problem. So I've shared this before. This is an ongoing struggle in my life. I can have a sharp tongue. For years in my life, I defended it by saying it's just quick wit. It's not my fault if people are offended by it. I'm speaking truth or it was funny and it's not my fault. And God over the years has broken me over and over again over that. And so even as I'm preparing this, I'm thinking of that. Like I need to control and bridle my tongue. I want my tongue to be used for words of life, not, not sharp, snappy comebacks. And so I, I prayed that. I prayed and I, and I prayed, God, that you give me opportunity and so I practiced So the other day I came home ready to practice this. And when I came in through the door, I was prepared and ready. God, you're going to give me opportunity to speak life and encouragement to my family and to my kids. And I did. And I, I, I saw their reaction. And it was bliss. I mean, seriously, bliss. For like 17 minutes. But they were an amazing 17 minutes. And at the end of that, when I just couldn't hold it and something else came out and it's just all the chaos is going around and, and I, I slip up. If you're like me in those moments, I just think, man, I'm just such a failure. It's just not ever going to happen. Like, why even bother trying? And that's a temptation in these things. We just look at it and we say, if I can't do it perfectly, why bother? Or it's going to be so hard. It's just it's so ingrained in me. It's going to be so hard to obey Jesus in this. Don't buy into those lies. It's not supposed to be easy. I mean, read the account of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and tell me that obedience is easy. It's not. Give thanks for the grace God gave you for those 17 minutes and then tomorrow go 18, go 20. Or the next, right now, start over again. We hear the word, we pray the word, we practice the word. I mean, right now, I just, I keep harping on this because I feel like it's one of the big things of our day is that how we function on social media. What is our voice in the world around us? James is clearly dealing with people who are blurting out whatever they want and causing incredible damage. And so my question is, when you look at your, at your reputation in the workplace or at home or on social media, what would they say about your speech? Would it be marked by the fruit of the Spirit, or would it not? Would, you, would they say that your allegiance is to Jesus or to a political party? Would they say that you cared for the poor and the afflicted, or did, would they say that you care more about your own rights? Would they say that you are gracious and kind and patient toward those who disagree, or are you sarcastic and mean-spirited? 
See, James 3, I said he deals with this later. He says, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And they ought not to be so because our Father of how he speaks to us. Because while we were enemies of God, he spoke words of life. Not when we mostly agreed with him. Not when we were so close to him. But when we were enemies and when we were far from him. He did not curse us. He spoke life. And we are to do the same. And so if you're feeling conviction in that right now, pray, God, forgive me for my tongue. Help me to bridle it. Keep this right in front of me so I won't forget. Help me plan for opportunities to practice this and to speak words of encouragement and life. And he goes on with another one. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled. He said, so that's, that's un- impure and it's defiled is when we don't bridle our tongue and when we curse others. But he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, there's this common theme in scripture, and that is that we are to care for those who cannot pay us back. It's all over the place, but Jesus talks about a banquet in Luke 14. And he says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. See, in that day, orphans and widows were the most vulnerable. They were at the mercy of others. They could not survive on their own. They could not pay anyone back. And James was saying to them, if your faith in Christ is real, you will obey Jesus' command to care for the least of these. Actually care for them. Not, Not just believe in general that it is good to care for widows and orphans that we actually do it. And we need to remember as a church, that's our identity. It's been the identity since the beginning of time that God's people care for ones that nobody else cares about. We listen to those who aren't being listened to. We support those who are unsupported. We speak for the voiceless. We remember the forgotten. We help those who have nothing to offer in return. Why? Because that's how God loved us. When we had nothing to offer him, While we were still sinners, with no voice, with no ability to obey God in our own strength, he invited us to his banquet, though we had nothing to offer. And so when we offer that in return, we are pointing to Jesus, saying, I'm just doing what God did for me. So some people push back on this. They say, so are you saying that's the church's responsibility to care for the poor and the orphans and all the outcasts? Like that's on us and not on, what about the culture? What about the government? Yeah, I'm saying it's on us. Like I don't have any other defense against that. Yes, it's on us. It is not only on us, but it is our joy and it is our privilege. It is our opportunity. That's what God's creating so that we can go into the midst of these situations and be salt and light. He's setting us up for success, lobbing the softball to us. And we're just taking pitches and walking away. We are called to be doers of the word. And so we let other people argue about politics. We can let other people place blame, but let our reputation be the ones who help. 
And that reputation has been here. This is one of the things. So I was most excited about this part because we get to just celebrate some of the things that God has been doing, has been doing for decades. These things have been going on here. But since this pandemic has started, you as a church outfitted a single dad's apartment with furniture who moved to the area with nothing. So can you imagine moving to an area with nothing during a pandemic? But you responded by donating all kinds of furniture so we could completely deck out his apartment. And your response was so big that we were able to then do that for another single woman who was seeking refuge and needing to start over. And so we were able to deck out her apartment with all the things that she needed. You've partnered with the community and school efforts to make sure children have stayed fed during this time. Several of you have partnered with the YMCA to deliver groceries to people for whom it wouldn't be safe to go out into public. You've been able to, through giving, have been able to give financial assistance to those who have needed. Our, t- our, our building has served as a temporary library for college students who were just sent on their way and said, all right, now we're going to do distance learning and who didn't have access to internet. And so our church building was able to serve as kind of a makeshift library for them. We were able to host a blood drive because guess what? Even during a pandemic, we still need blood. And so that was able to be there. And that doesn't include the countless ways many of you have been serving and loving people in your communities all the time. And each time we do that, as disciples of Jesus, we are pointing to him who loved us at our time of deepest need, even though we didn't deserve any of it. But there's still so much more to do. There are still so many more kids in our system who need a safe place to live. There are still more shut-ins who need someone to care about them. There are still more people who are in crisis. And sometimes when we look in that mirror of God's word, we can say, oh, it's just too big. I can't handle it. And so we just walk away. We say, I don't know what I can do. Well, you can do something. And we want to help you do that. So tell God that it seems big, but give him the opportunity to show you where to start. So right now, like we've talked about this a lot with orphans. Many of you have expressed that maybe you feel called to foster or adopt. We want to help you however we can. And one of the big things is we have financial assistance to give you. We want to help you financially. So whatever you do, if you're thinking, I want to foster or I want to adopt, don't let finances be the reason you say no. Don't let it happen. We will help you. We will figure it out. And you may say, well, I don't know if I can do that. What, what, what else could I do? And that's where we talk about we partnered with Welcomed. We're able to surround a foster family with, with families from our church to, for support, from everything from people getting licensed so you can give respite care all the way to just mowing a lawn. And we can, we can surround people with that kind of community. We have volunteers with CASA, and I continue to, to mention that because we, we need advocates for these kids who are going through court systems, and they just need a steady adult in their life to help them make sense of what's going on. And we have several people who have volunteered with that, and right now they are desperate for volunteers. Leslie has committed or um, compiled a list of people in our church family who need help getting to doctor's appointments or getting prescriptions filled or getting groceries. And we have so many people in our church who have been rallying around that for years and years and years. But that needs going to increase. And so right now, those things are being pushed through the, the whole I'm in thing that we did several months ago. And so if you want to be part of that, if you want to say, okay, look, I want to be a part of that. I want to help then take one of the cards that you can get by the offering boxes or somewhere or send an email or just yell it at me, whatever, and just say, I'm in. And we'll put you on that list where we can make you, we can help you know when those opportunities arise.
But of these things, as we pray, as you pray through these things, don't just hear this and be glad that something is done, being done, or agree that something should be done. Let's be doers more and more and more. And finally, he says, keep oneself unstained from the world. And I'll make this one really short, because in short, this is not at all about avoiding being sullied by the sin of the world. This is not what this passage is about. So if you've ever used this passage to say, well, that's why you don't hang out with sinners, I would just graciously try to tell you with a bridled tongue that is maybe incorrect, okay? Remember, Jesus said, it's not what goes into your body, it's what comes out. What the sin that defiles us comes from our own heart, hearts. We're a fountain of our own sin. We don't need anybody's help in that. What he's talking about is not letting this, the world stain your heart or change your view, to not buy into the propaganda that this is just about political or, or theological statements and not getting into the muck and mire of life. Don't buy into the propaganda that you can't love people and disagree with them. Or fighting, or the, the propaganda that fighting for your rights is more important than serving others. And by the way, I just want to say, this is only going to get worse in the next few months as we approach November. People vying to try to pull you away from Jesus. From every side, they don't care. They're just going to pull and pull and pull. And the, the plea here from James is don't be stained by that. Don't be stained by the philosophies of the world. Don't buy into the idea that, yeah, Jesus was good, but we're more progressive than him now. He didn't understand things that we now are enlightened and understand. Or don't believe that Jesus isn't sovereign over everything, and so you feel like you got to take matters into your own hands and fight in ways that are not honoring to Christ. That's being stained by the world. See, Because the world looks at us and says, you know what, a little religion is fine, but don't take it to an extreme. What they're really saying is that religion is a fine garnish as long as it doesn't take away from the main dish of humanism. we got to pray against that. We belong to a king and a kingdom. And so we love and we serve. And we lay down our lives and lay down our rights. And we do so because that is what our Jesus did for us. And so we say we are going to be doers of the word and belong to him. Because when we speak words of life and hope, listen, when we speak words of life and hope, we point to the one who has words of eternal life. When we care for the orphan and the widow and the weak in our culture who cannot pay us back, we point to the one who gave up everything to rescue his enemies and adopt them as sons and daughters. Because when we are able to be in the world but not of the world, when we can stand with people and, and listen to brothers and sisters who are crying out about injustice, and we can say, I, I hear that and I stand with you and not feel like we have to worry about all the other details in that, and we can just love and serve and be there in the midst, when we do that, we point to the one who is so steady, and despite all the things that were said about him, he loved the unlovable. He reached out to the outcast. He remembered the forgotten And he never wavers, though the earth would give way. So that's the invitation this morning. Maybe you're here and and you aren't sure what to believe about these things, but you hear these things and they ring true. You see the damage that the unbridled tongue has done. You've tried to fix things you see wrong in, in your life and in the world around you, but to no avail. 
You've seen the, the faultiness and the explanations uh, and the philosophies that the world has to offer, and you're searching. And I want to encourage you, come to the one who only speaks truth in life. Come to the one who adopts the orphan, restores the broken, and defends the weak. Come to the one who is rock solid amidst a world that is ever-changing. Not as a philosophy for a good life, but as a king who offers new life. In that banquet that Jesus says to, to invite everybody, when people heard about this kingdom in the banquet, they basically said, Huzzah! The kingdom of God is the greatest. Who wouldn't want to eat at this banquet? And Jesus responded with a story that said this. Essentially, actually many people will turn away from this banquet. They'll come up with all kinds of excuses and justifications to avoid coming to this feast. And so maybe you are concerned about what it would mean if you really followed Jesus. What you would have to give up. What others might think of you. But I would encourage you to consider this. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he delivers what he offers, then is it not worth everything to follow him? He's either Lord or he's not. If he's not, don't give it another thought. Read James 1 and say, ah, it's nice in theory. I'll consider that. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if he is Lord, if he is who he said he is, if he is the one who rescued you, at your pit of despair and pulled you out. If he is that, if he resurrected, defeating sin and death and reigns now for all eternity, if he is all of that, then lay down your life, give up everything, pick up your cross, die to yourself and follow him and find life and joy and peace. If you want that, it is available to you. And I would encourage you to talk to me after the service or Somebody else, just talk to somebody. Put it on a card if you're, if you're too hot and sweaty and you want to go home, but you want to write that on a card, we will follow up with you this week. But whatever you do, don't walk away being hearers only. Respond. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we desperately need you. And God, everything in our flesh will kick and fight against these things. But you have called us to hear and to consider and to pray and to obey, to follow you. And you said we would be blessed in our doing. God, I pray that you would give us opportunities today to demonstrate to a lost and hurting world that there is a God who created all things and who so loved his creation that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him would find eternal life. God, we know that you sent Jesus not to condemn the world, but to save it. That Jesus, you became sin for us. You became cursed for us. And now we get to live in light of that glorious truth. Let us do that, Father, so that you may receive all of the glory and we may rejoice in it. Amen.